Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a podcast about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Stephen, it's a special episode of Liftoff. It's very special. It is. The James Webb Space Telescope is in space. It's in space. Wow. It's proven, proven that the use of the word space in its name is actually accurate. It did it. Uh, somebody posted on Twitter a document about the Next Generation Space Telescope from 1989, and I thought, oh, boy. yep, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, I'm sure a, a lot of listeners, we, uh, you know, kept up and watched a lot of stuff. NASA was putting out, read a lot of stuff. Yeah. And we've talked about another, in context of other missions, about people's entire career being one mission. Right. But I really felt that acutely with the James Webb, you know, uh, that there are people who watch that thing launch on Christmas Day who have decades of their career in it and hopefully decades of their career in the future with it as well. But what an achievement to see that thing, uh, to see that thing launch on, on Christmas morning. Uh, It was very early for you. I know. Yeah, for I set I set an alarm for like four ten a.m. and and got my AirPods out and sat there on very very early on Christmas morning. Yeah, um, not wanting to disturb Santa, uh, and uh, and watch it, but but I did. You got up, but you woke up at a slightly later time. Yeah, it was at six, and yeah. uh, it got all launched before my seven year old came busting into our room to open Christmas presents. So it panned nice. out. But of course, the big thing is, and I think NASA's done a really good job at communicating the complexity of this thing it ain't over yet right like it launched and that's good the Ariane 5 is of course a a workhorse in terms of reliability but there is a lot left to do before this thing is operational yeah we're going to go through the whole the whole steps of it but it was uh they've made it clear at several points it's like this is a point of failure there are lots more the next 30 days the next three months it's really there's a lot of things that they have to get right and so far they've gotten it all right as of our recording here but um there's there's a lot more to it that they said Mm -hmm. that some missions you know you you go through the launch and the launch is i think i think one of them maybe it was thomas zerbrocken said um a lot of missions you go through the launch and it's most of your risk. It's 90% of your risk on the yeah. mission. And he said he felt like they had retired about 20% of their risk with hmm. the launch. That there's just a lot more to do. Um, I A lot of interesting anecdotes came out. So for the press who did make their way to Kourou in, in French Guiana, which is hard to get to, and a lot of them had to fly through Orly Airport in France. They had to fly from North America to Europe and then back to South America, which is dumb, but that was like, that's those are the flights you can get to French Guiana, unless you're a NASA official anyway. They, they get to fly direct. Um, somebody, anyway, a, a little anecdotes came out um, during, over the weekend while this was all going on. One of them that I thought was really funny is we talked on Liftoff a lot about taking the, the, the telescope by ship from Southern California to French Guiana and how they were, they did it on, uh, through the Panama Canal and all that, but they took it by ship. What I didn't know is somebody said they did actually seriously consider flying it. And what they discovered was the weight of the space telescope was so great that it would not be rated for the bridges that they would have to cross over Whoa. the rivers in French Guiana, <laughs> and they didn't want to take the risk. But, and I love this, because sometimes this happens when there's serious money involved, regardless of what's going on. There was a serious conversation 
held about whether what they should do is pay the money to upgrade those bridges or build new bridges and then fly it there. And they decided it was, it turned out their, their calculation of cost and safety that they would just put it on a ship. But they th- I love that they thought about just what if we just spent the money to make a new bridge? <laughs> okay. Problems you don't foresee when you design a space telescope. Yeah, exactly. So they just, they put it on a ship and it was fine. Yeah. Uh, but that was a nice one. We got some immediate, in what will be, I think, an iconic image of the, of the telescope, uh, the second stage of the Ariane um, had video of the deployment uh, and and it's the web telescope is it's shining out there and it immediately rolls out its solar panels which they thought was going to happen like a half an hour after but it actually happened while it was still in the frame and it was completely an accident that it was still in the frame when it happened it wasn't planned at all and in fact that rollout is apparently timed based on the spacecraft does it based on certain factors being like it knows that it's safe and it's ready to start the rollout but apparently the ride was so on the nose from the Ariane 5 and the the push uh, off from the second stage was so perfect that the moment it got released basically it looked around and said yep Things are good, and it rolled mm-hmm. out the solar panel. And I, that's the story, I think, of Christmas Day of that launch is it was a perfect launch. It was perfect. It was right down the middle the whole way and to the point where the solar panel was ready to come out right away because there was there was nothing that was even a little bit off and that needed to be uh, settled down before they rolled it out. And one thing that's uh, unique about the James Webb is that it can only propel itself in one direction. And so <laughs> if the rocket had too much thrust behind it, if it burned a, just moments too long, it would be moving too quickly and would miss its orbit. <laughs> right. Cause it, it can't, it can't turn around. It would fry the temperature sensitive controls and it would also spray propellant around that would get on the mirrors. So it's not designed to turn around. It can only go in one thrust in one direction, which is away from earth. So like they did a, their first burn, um, on the, on the spacecraft on the 26 on boxing day. Um, but the way it works, uh, that I thought was a really useful description is rolling a ball uphill. So it just stops at the top that you can't, overroll it or the whole thing is ruined if you go too far so the Ariane 5 took it like close to enough velocity to reach its you know the second Lagrange point which is where it's going but not quite and then that burn on on Boxing Day gets it almost enough to get to L2 and then they and then they will check and there's another burn that they can do to fine-tune it a little bit and then there's the insertion at L2 but like it's all there because they can't go over because they can't turn around and thrust the other way. So they just have to like get it close and then get it closer and then it closer. The good news is it sounds like the Ariane was so on the nose that um, they may end up with more propellant when they get to their destination than they than they thought, which is good because every ounce of propellant that is saved is more life for the spacecraft because it has to maintain station keeping and orientation when it gets to L2. It, it's not a perfectly stable location. It's close, right? But it's not perfect. And once it runs out of fuel, with a caveat that we'll get to in a minute, you know, that's sort of the end of the mission because then it won't be able to orient itself properly. Don't, don't want to overshoot it, you know? 
So don't do you, it. You got to. I mean, I love I love rolling the ball uphill. Like you, you, if you overshoot it, you lose, right? So yep. you you roll it uphill a little undershot, and then you run after it, <laughs> and then you push it again because mm-hmm. you want it to just stop right at the top, and that's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but it's already past the orbit of the moon. I mean, that's the funny thing is that it, it's slowing down, right? The Earth's orbit is going to keep slowing it down, but it's all—it's already a quarter of the way there, even though it's going to take 30 days for it to reach it because it's being slowed, but it starts out with the big kick, so it's already past the moon on its way out to L2. Really, really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they'll do... And an, uh, future optional burns, if needed. There's a great website, Where is Web? Uh, it'll be linked yeah. in the show notes, where they've put together this amazing graphic of not only where the space telescope is, but like what's coming up. And so mm-hmm. we're in these early deployments, but the sun shield is coming up where they have to unfold the tennis court sized five layer sun shield. Uh, and then the mirrors will come out. And, and so we'll be able to follow this along and. It's really cool. Uh, I'm glad they put this together because it's so complex. It's fun to it's good to watch it as opposed to read a bunch of blog posts from NASA. And you get all those milestones over the 30 days because they are they've got to they've got to get their rig out for the sun shield and then they've got to deploy the sun shield. And a sun shield is capped on right. It's that it's that tape that is inside computers to hold things down. <laughs> that's what it is. That orangey tape. Yeah, that's loads. That's of what it is. <laughs> uh, except the size, except uh, tennis court size, and they yeah. all have to unfold and stretch out, and it and not get snagged. And it this is why there's still much more risk in this mission yet to be, uh, you know, retired by mm-hmm. the deployments. Um, but they have to. They have those five layers of Kapton, and it keeps the the cool side, which is since this is an infrared telescope, it's got to be at very, 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 very cold temperatures. So the Kapton. Uh, Sunshield basically keeps all the solar radiation off of that stuff. So there's a hot side, which is where the thrusters are and the computers are and the radio is. And then there's the cold side, which is where all of the instrumentation is. And it's quite a an amazing looking uh, thing. One of the things that struck me about it and all the coverage about the, the telescope is this this is cutting edge stuff where literally like they had to invent this telescope. Like there's yeah. technology <laughs> built for it that had to be invented to make it. It's not... You know, when commercial crew and all of that, I mean, this is true in space in general, but there's a lot of stuff that is taken a little bit off the shelf or from some other thing. So much of the Webb Space Telescope is invented for the Webb Space Telescope. They literally had to invent the method and the parts in order to make it work because nobody's ever tried anything like this before. Pretty amazing. And, and you think at the, about the time and the money it took. A lot of that comes down to that simple fact that what they wanted and needed to do with this wasn't feasible, wasn't possible when they started out. And it takes time and money to do that. And, you know, we've talked through the history of it on previous episodes, but it really is, this launch is really just the uh, the celebration of all that work by tens of thousands of people around the world. And knowing that they can't fix it later, like, I think that's also part of the the cost and the and the time is you've got to get it right because you don't have a, a fallback. You yeah. have to get it right. So you spend even more time and effort in order to make sure that it is definitely going to work. And so like when the sun shield didn't unfold right a few years ago, they had to do a whole rethink about how they were going to unfold the sun shield because they didn't they couldn't risk it and they guessed that there was a certain percentage chance that it wasn't going to unfold right so they had to work through it because there's no fallback if it doesn't work so when they get it so 30 days as we said 
Um, they will be unfolding the rigging and the sun shield and the mirrors. Um, and then when they get there, it's also not lights on right away. They've got to test out like the individual mirrors and the systems. And I think, you know, they've been saying it's sort of like a couple more months before science officially begins. So there's, it is a, a fairly long process, even after they get to L2 before they're ready to go. And also it has to cool down. I thought that was kind of one of the funny things about it is once the sun shield is deployed, you know, it, it's, it's got to cool down and it takes time in space for, uh, all of those materials to just keep radiating out the heat until they reach uh you know essentially somewhere close to absolute zero uh mm-hmm. very close to it yeah and, and so that that takes time too so we're all gonna have to be patient before there's some you know groundbreaking image that comes out of this thing i mean and it, that really just speaks to how different this this is from hubble or hubble is sort of easy to wrap my head around as the way you know the way the telescope works there's lenses i kind of you know james webb looking in the uh, the infrared spectrum already is weird because we don't see that part of right. the spectrum, uh, and the ability, the abilities it will have to spot things like exoplanets and much, much further out, and that means earlier parts of the universe. Because as the the universe expands, light and everything gets stretched, right? And so things have redshifted, and so this is going to unlock parts of the sky and further back in to time than we've ever been able to seen be- see before. Yeah. And so these images are going to be truly new discoveries that were out of reach, if you will, before this telescope. That's why this telescope is such a big deal to the scientific community. Yeah, they hope to see basically as far back, I mean, they hope as far back in time as basically there's evidence of because the redshift you know, as you get out to the edge, at some point there's the the lights on moment where the light started um, spreading. Like the 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 first stars came online, and the cloud of gas kind of got blown away, and it was the first light moment in the universe. Like that is that is the ultimate goal, I think, is to see as far back as can be seen, and this telescope should get us uh, closer to that you know, remains to be seen exactly what it will see. But un- undoubtedly, one of the great things about science is they'll see things that they they uh, they didn't expect. Um, and like exoplanets, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of anticipation that with exoplanet targets that we've gotten from from places like the Kepler probe, that they're going to be able to look and see those planets in some more detail and get spectro spectrums from them do some spectroscopy and find out like, do they have atmospheres? And if so, what's the composition of the atmosphere? And that's all kind of to play for. Plus, you know, they will look in our solar system too. I think there's a lot of stuff, especially in the outer solar system that, um, you yeah, having a new space telescope that's capable of looking, especially places where we don't have a spacecraft orbiting, right? Like Neptune and Uranus. But I'm sure there are lots of people who are just, um, planetary scientists who are also getting time on um on the web space telescope to study stuff that's near so it is near and far are going to be looked at with this thing and it's all being run out of the same uh institute that the hubble control is run run out of the space telescope science institute in baltimore and of course it will overlap hubble but it will probably outlast hubble um right depending on a couple of things. And so the estimated lifespan of the James Webb is 10 years. Uh, That's based partially on propellant. So 
they they do need to use bits of propellant to keep that L2 orbit stable. And they also have orientation control where the the telescope can pitch and yaw a little bit. And so to have that control obviously takes propellant. It's possible that it could be refueled. See, so this is the news of the week, I thought. Nobody... <laughs> Nobody was talking about this. Everybody was like, we got one shot. It's not like Hubble where we can go fix it. One shot, it lasts for 10 years. And then Thomas Zerbrucken from NASA said this week, uh, or last week, I guess, technically at this point, that, well, there's a fueling port on it that, that we used to fuel it. And there's the ring that kept it attached to the Ariane second stage. He, he said, basically, he's already thinking about planning a refueling mission. Once this gets up and running, they'll have a decade, probably, at least, before they have to get there. But he said, you know, he is absolutely going to look into it, and NASA is going to consider it that the the follow-on, if the space telescope gets up and running, is you can do a robotic refueling mission. And so you're not going to send astronauts out to L2, necessarily, but you can send a spacecraft out to L2, that spacecraft hasn't been designed, right? Mm-hmm. But we know that at the very least, SpaceX has been talking about doing in-orbit uh, refueling for the Starship program. And I know that there are other space companies out there that have talked about doing this for satellites. Because just as reusability for rockets is a great thing for space, being able to refuel and service things that are already in space is good because you don't have to replace them. You can keep them going. So could they create a mission that in 10 years will be able to go out to L2 and, you know, cozy up to the James Webb Space Telescope and give it 10 more years of fuel that's really interesting and not something I'd heard before. But if this um, if this telescope does its job over the next 10 years, that is a really exciting prospect that it would be able to be kept on orbit or orbit around L2 for uh, for even longer. So that was uh, that was a, a little tidbit that I had not heard of before that is not it's not quite the same as selling sending shuttle astronauts out there to replace parts like right. that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But uh, something like this, uh, much more possible, I think. It's pretty wild. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I saw that headline. I was like, wait, wait, what? Uh, what? <laughs> that could be. I mean, it'd be really awesome. There's and... a lot of somebody. Somebody said, uh, you know, would you just challenge Elon Musk to do it? And Thomas Zerbrucken was like, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Well, I mean, who knows? But the the, the idea that they've got enough. Again, anything in space is going to take a long time, but that they've got enough of a, a span here that after it gets up and running, if everything is looking good, they can start to say, okay, we think we've got about 10 years to use you know stuff that hasn't been invented yet and some stuff that has been invented yet. Could we get propellant out there? And you know, I think that if you talk about Starship and you talk about the, the Lunar Gateway, like there are lots of other missions that probably need similar technology in terms of in-space fueling and maybe even going to a different orbit in order to do the refueling like it's not entirely um like out of out of line from other things that are going on in the next 10 years yeah. to talk about this so that's cool we should uh we should talk about the podcast for a yeah, second yeah i mean this is a bonus special unexpected episode and um and this is the time where we're going to tell you that this is what liftoff's going to be from now on is unexpected specials when something exciting happens that we want to talk about. 
Yeah. So so we're making a change. We've been publishing this show every other week for five years, six years. And, uh, you know, just looking forward, uh, both Jason and I have uh, just sort of a desire to, to rework our schedules some, rework our, our work lives some. And part of that change is going to be uh, no more fortnightly episodes of Liftoff. Now, stay subscribed because, like yes. Jason said, we are moving to uh, a schedule that will be uh, more unpredictable. Irregular. Irregular. <laughs> But based around uh, big things like the James Webb launch. So sort of in our short list, we have uh, Artemis 1 launch. We have the 50th anniversary of Apollo 16, which is coming up in the spring. Yeah. So we're going to finish that out. And we feel like this is a way that we can continue to make liftoff, continue to make it sustainable, just in this sort of new, uh, new methodology. So we're super excited about that. Please stay subscribed. Uh, we will let people know on Twitter in advance. Uh, we'll still record those live uh, is our plan. Yeah. It's just going to be kind of uh, a broken away from the every every other Tuesday that we've been on for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's been a great five years, but the truth is you and I are very, very busy, and this is a very small part of what we do. And the truth is there are also lots of people out there for whom talking about space and related subjects is a large part of what they do. We're never going to win the battle with them. Um, You know, it's never going to be our primary. And although we love the subject matter, there are lots of other sites and podcasts and people for whom this is their professional focus. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's not. And and. Honestly, one of the we talked about how amazing it is. We thought we weren't we weren't going to have enough to talk about, and there's actually a lot going on. But the net result of that has been that this podcast has become a fortnightly um, grind through whatever the latest news is. Yeah, and after a while, I think that that you know you end up learning the stuff that you're enthusiastic about and the stuff where you're just kind of grinding through more content. And again, part of that is our jobs, but this particular area is not our job this is like a thing we are excited about for fun Mm -hmm. but um in the end like this is not what we what we primarily do and so we're never going to really be able to compete with those uh with those folks who do this and i think we've got other things to do with our time so the best solution when we were talking about this seems to be you know it's not like we're not going to be following space stuff and we're not going to be excited about it but doing a fortnightly news recap is not something either of us wants to do so we'll come back whenever there's something going on that excites us and we'll talk about it and we're going to do the apollo 50 stuff we've got a few more of those to do we'll keep doing those and you know who knows what else we might do if it strikes our fancy yeah but what it's not going to be is mandatory every two weeks open up our document and unfold all the headlines and go through them because that part of it is not really what we got into this to do and it's sort of what it's become so we'll leave that for we'll leave that for others and we're just gonna keep releasing things uh as we find stuff that excites us about big events like the launch of the james webb space telescope in fact just this week our friend anthony who runs the main engine cutoff podcast announced that he's going independent with his show. Yeah. And so it's it's a great time. I've listened to Mika for a long time. There's lots of other good examples. Um, so if you're looking for those things, I would start there. But we kind of want to get back to the stuff that is really exciting to us. And, and that's what we're going to do. So thank you all so much. Stay subscribed. 
Yes. But uh, we will not be we will not be back in a fortnight this time. This is not like some of our other uh, podcasts that we've killed where we're like, you can stay subscribed, but I don't think anything's going to, you know, I don't think there's going to be another fuzzy puppy update. Sorry about no. that, people who listen to that show. We will be back. We will be back at the very least for Apollo uh, 50. Yeah. yeah what's next? Uh, the 50th of Apollo 16 or <laughs> Artemis 1 launch? Yeah. I Well, that's the never... race now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but that, that's the, and that's the kind of stuff. And the great thing about talking about space stuff is there are always those moments and those are the ones that get us really excited about it. So that's what we're going to do. We'll either do a, an anticipatory something where it's like, this is going to happen and here's what to look for, yeah. or we'll do the post post game and we'll be like, this happened and this is what's great. And this is what happens next. I, I don't know what form that'll take, but like, we're going to let our enthusiasm for this guide us and um and leave and you mentioned anthony colangelo like that's a perfect example of like this is what he does he he's going to make this main engine cutoff he's going to make that his his job right and it liftoff's never going to be our job it was always a small fraction of hours out of our lives and and we've got so many other things that it's being crowded out not taking over the rest of it and that's fine we can still love it and talk about it but not have it be you know, you got to pick things. You only have so much time in your life and, and in your career. And so you have to choose where you spend that time. And um, I'm happy to hand this stuff off uh, on a regular basis to the people who do this for a living. And and um, and they deserve your ongoing support. And as for us, um, we love that people want to listen to us talk about space stuff at all, because quite honestly, we would just do it on our own otherwise. Um, and so we'll keep doing that, but it's just not going to be... Uh, on a regular basis. It'll be a few times a year, whenever. I hope there's so much... Stephen, I hope there's an amazing, mind-blowing space thing every other week, and we'll just have to do it fortnightly, <laughs> but that's probably not going to happen. Well, uh, thank you all for listening uh, to this episode of Liftoff. Congratulations to the James Webb team. What an amazing accompli- what an amazing accomplishment getting that thing off the ground. We're really excited to see that literally unfold. <laughs> mm. Mm. That was good. Mm-hmm. That was good. Uh, you can find us online. The show is at Liftoff Podcast on Twitter. You can find Jason there as Jay Snell. You can follow me on Twitter as ISMH. And until next time, Jason, say goodbye. We'll see you back here sometime. Bye, y'all. <laughs>